Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. We're going to dive into God's Word. Turn to John chapter 1. Uh, we're excited. Uh, we're in our second week in the series entitled The Gift. And so hopefully you joined us last week. Last week was about uh, really building a theological foundation about what Christmas is really all about, in other words, right? So I, we, we kind of leaned in in this little theme in, in regards to not so sure that God is concerned about us having a white Christmas. Now, granted, the weather today um, may just lend that, but more so having a right Christmas, a right theological understanding, again, afresh about what Christmas is all about, what it really means, why did he come? So last week, what we did is we looked at John chapter 1 and 1, and we talked about how Jesus was the word, the eternal word of God. He's the eternal word of God who existed with the Father before time existed. Today, what we want to do is look at something that's very, um, I would think, relatable to all of us, is life. Jesus is the gift of life. 1860, um, Milton Bradley came out with a game, y'all know what I'm talking about, entitled what? Life, right? Somebody said something else, I have no idea what you said, amen. So, but for those watching online, thanks for joining us. But, but they came out with a game called Life. And uh, the whole concept of the game, I mean, the first making of it, you can have up to two players to six players. And then as they made new renditions, you can actually get up to 10 different players But the main idea and the purpose of this game was that these players would have their pieces and that they identified with and they would journey through the board. And at the conclusion of the game, the whole purpose of the game was this. The person that had the most wealth actually won the game. And so Milton Bradley, they made this game not knowing what would happen, not knowing the outcome, not knowing how well it would be received. And they realized that the first year they made it, 45,000 of these games were actually sold. And they're thinking, man, we must be on to something. Well, they were. Because in that time, many people were really asking a question, what is life all about? What's the purpose of life? Why do I exist? Why am I, why do I take up heat and space? I mean, tell me, please, am I just here by mere fact or does God have something great for me? Or am I here for his purpose? What is the purpose? And so they begin to make new renditions and they sold more and more and more. And I have to ask this question and John is gonna answer it, but here it is. If the game of life can begin to trigger something within all of us, or humanity, or just game players. I mean, gamers out here. I'm a little board games. I mean, gamers, right? Don't invite me to your house. Amen. So, but anyway, but gamers, Milton Bradley was on to something, but I believe John is on to something even greater. Life has to be far greater than just a board game called life, even though the board game highlighted something vacant and void within mankind. Now, It's amazing because last week, again, we talked about how we really believe Jesus wants us, God wants us to have a a right Christmas instead of a white Christmas. So life is happening all around us. Let me just give you a couple updates on some things that's happening in the life of the church this past week. Life, right? 
So we had last week, we talked about this, I believe, uh, last week we talked about how Kids Night Out was a success, many new families coming through the doors. We're excited, man, we're grateful that God is moving and doing unique things. Thursday night, this past Thursday, we had cross ties. And I'm going to tell you what, my wife was able to make it. It was fun. We sang all these great songs, uh, traditional Christmas songs. It was, the, it was the bomb. It was cool. Kicking it with the older generation is, it, man, you learn a lot. Amen. So young ones, I would actually encourage you all to hang with them sometime. You learn something. It was great. It was a great night. But then Friday night, the student ministry has something called Winter Rally, the Winter Rally. And I'm going to tell you what, man, it was the Lord showed up. Students, am I lying? It was it was great, great leadership to Pastor Daquan and, um, and Milan and the team. Man, thank you for doing that. But I'm going to tell you what, the Lord showed up. They had many decisions for Jesus, whether first-time decisions or, look, I need to get baptized or I need to serve. So life is happening all around us. But again, John is going to answer a deeper question theologically. Why are we here? The Christmas story is a murder story. The Christmas story is all about God literally saying, look, I had a plan from eternity past. I'm going to pull it off through 42 generations in the Old Testament, and I'm going to pull it off 400 years of silence, and that silence would be broken by the cry of a baby. And that baby would be God himself literally in the flesh coming to redeem you and I. So in other words, have you ever said these things to yourself? Life is, life is blank to me. And we'll pop these up on the screen. Life is blank to me, whatever that may be for you. So what is life for you? But then life is blank for me. You fill in that blank. I can't fill it in for you. Like think about life. Again, we may think of life as like at 9 to 5. You get up at 7 a.m. Uh, you, you know, you lay your head down at 9.30. Just life, the hustle and bustle, shopping. And I mean, just, just talk about, we're going to talk about a little 30,000 foot view of life. Uh, life from God's perspective. Or maybe you said these, this right here, my life depends on, you fill in the blank. For some of us, we may say relationships. For others, we may say our bank account. For others, we may say um, my, my, just my stock. My, my, my life depends on being known or accepted. My life depends on you fill in the blank. As we talk about the nuts and bolts and the essence of life. Like, why are we here? Like, literally, why has the Lord created you and then in this hyphen moment, I was born in 1997, in this hyphen moment, as God has given me just a small bleak in this, this thing called existence, because eternity is forever, what, why am I here? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like literally, why am I here? It has to be greater than just selling real estate. It has to be greater than just being a great, um, a great doctor or a great lawyer or a great husband and wife. Those things are all phenomenal, but I'm going to tell you what, this morning, the gift of life, Jesus wants us to see something far more grander. We can't get there unless we, again, relook at the manger. Who was in there? John tells us. John chapter 1, starting in verse 4, says, in him was life. In him was life. Who was him? It's funny, like, one comedian said, like, I ain't got a name or something, like, just saying him, him, you know, him downstairs, right? So, in other words, some of y'all didn't get that, but that's fine. Talking about Jesus. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. 
We're going to stay here. We'll deal with light next week. I'm excited about that. But chances are the things that you listed and put in those blanks were really good things. But what happens over life, just like back in 1860 when Milton Bradley made the game, we begin to associate life and, and begin to build this definition of life, and, we, and we, we house this very interesting dynamic of def, definition. And, and in other words, it, centers, it begins to center around you and I. If you and I, myself included, if I'm not careful this Christmas season, I can make Christmas all about me. I can make Christmas all about myself. I can make Christmas all about just what's under the tree. As we talked about last week, I'm not marveling on what's under the tree, but I need to marvel. We need to marvel on the one who hung on the tree. And so in essence, what are those things? I don't know what it may be. It could be, again, your family. It could be education, your 401K. It could be your health. I don't know what it may be, but let me tell you what. Those are good things, but they shouldn't be ultimate things. And here, the writer's saying, if, if Jesus is life, then what are we after? Is he, if he's life, then what are we after? So in other words, Philippians tells us this in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there if you want. It'll be on the screens, but I want to read something to you. It's called a staircase theology. It's very interesting how Paul highlights this. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. It says, have this mind amongst yourself. Now talking about Jesus being life. Life. The bigger picture and the bigger meaning of life. Having this mind amongst yourself, yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I love that because it's yours. If you're a believer in the room, it's yours. It's, it's definitely yours. Now the previous context is talking about humility. So that's yours. We ought to serve others. We not, shouldn't look for our own interests in doing things. That's the big context. But then Paul begins to highlight this staircase of theology. He says, well, who, talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. A thing to be grasped. In other words, this is the kenosis theology. Jesus emptying himself so that you and I can be made back right with the Father. And by the way, the early church was seeing this, the Christ hymn. They would actually sing this particular passage of scripture to encourage their hearts in regards to the, the sacrifice that Jesus made. But being made, but made himself nothing, notice this, taking the form of a servant, that's one staircase, being born in the likeness of men, there's another one, and being found in human form, there's another one. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the cross, to the point of death, even the death on the cross, even death on the cross. So there's five stairs. Therefore, the Lord had highlighted him and raised him up and gave him a name that's above every single name. But we see that Jesus had to, to pull this thing off. John does something different than the synoptic gospels. And so in other words, what we see out of the gate is Jesus is the source of life. If life is in him, he, in him was life. We're going to talk about what that life is. In him was life. That means that we have to dig deeper. Everybody say deeper. Matthew traces Jesus' genealogy back to Abraham. Synoptic Gospels. Luke traces Jesus' genealogy back to uh, the first human, Adam. Mark is real rapid in his disposition in Gospel account. But John, our writer this morning, he does something a little bit different. He, far beyond the physical creation, he, he reaches beyond that and he says, well, Jesus he had life before life existed. So you have to ask your question, what life then, Pastor? You're barking about life. What life then? What life? What life? Zoe. Z-O-E. Zoe life. Spiritual life. 
spiritual life. I said this at the beginning that this is literally a murder story. And we go, man, really? I think, man, this is, man, Christmas is a murder story. It's about God literally saying, man can't pull it off in and of themselves, so I have to put on flesh to pull it off for them. And we see God's plan and methodology all the way back in the Old Testament. We see him raise up different um, uh, people. So you had the covenant, the covenant that he made with Abraham, Noah, Noah and David, the sacrificial systems, the prophets, the judges, the kings, the Ten Commandments. And in Romans, he said that this, and Paul said in Romans 8 that uh, Jesus had to pull off the righteous requirement because the law was weak in doing so. So you and I, we could not pull it off. I hate to tell you this, but you couldn't pull it off. I couldn't pull it off. This is why this season is such a great joy and a great hope and a season of great thankfulness. This is why you and I, that's why the angels sang. This is why the shepherds were, were just so um, ecstatic, if you will. This is why you and I, we long for the seasons, the smells, the food, the camaraderie. Why? Because the greatest gift was given. In other words, we couldn't do it. God did it for you and I. It's amazing because this culture is saying that hope is a lot of different things. Man, you can find hope in relationships. You can find hope in just material. You can find hope in status. You can find hope in this. You can find hope in just hope in it. Jesus is the only hope for the world. Jesus, Jesus is the only hope for the world. So if he's the only hope for the world and life is in him, Zoe life, spiritual life, intended life that God does, designed us to live and have, and I'm going to deal with that in just a little bit, that means he has hope for you. He has hope for you. Think about this in the garden. Y'all ever heard the statement, you only had one job? <laughs> you only had one, you only had one job. Come on, dog. You only had one job, man. One job. You only had one job. It's like that baseball game or something, Major League Baseball, bottom of the ninth, man, two outs, man, and you can just win the whole championship. Here it is. Here's the pitch. <laughs> Boom, center field. And that ball is coming to the center field, the, the center field guy. Man, he got his glove up. Everybody's standing on their feet. They sense this is about to happen. It's about to happen. He's going to catch it. He's going to catch it. And that ball just bounced off the side of his mitt. You had one job. <laughs> one job. Everybody say one. one. Football. Quarterback drops back. Here it is. Man, wide open. Have you ever seen this? Wide open. And it's harder to catch, typically it's harder to catch the football when you're wide open versus in coverage. Wide open, here it is, zoom, spiral, tight, on point. You don't have to stop, you're still in stride, and then bloop, one job. Adam and Eve, you had one job in the garden to keep and cultivate. You had one job to stay connected to the source of life. You had one job. And mind you, let me say this too. I know myself and my own propensities and, and proclivities, if you will. Had you and I, have I been in the garden, we would be, have done the same thing. In other words, we would have cut the whole tree down. We had one job, to stay connected to the source. And so here God goes, you know what, I'm going to work it out. I'm going to work it out for him. So this argues something else, though. So if Zoe life is in Jesus, stay with me, y'all. We're going to build a, we're going to just a lot of theology in this series. Because again, I think we romanticize what Christmas means. We kind of overlook the, the real essence of what Jesus came to do. We have to, again, afresh unpack that. 
So if life was in him, that means we didn't have the life. One theologian said this, I think it's, it's bad grammar, but it's good theology. He was, that means we ain't. Y'all go with me. Come on, y'all. So if life was in him, again, I'm going to preface by saying this. I want to drive this home, and then we didn't have the life. That means it argues that there really is a real issue. We can't chalk it up just to say I can work hard enough. I can do enough things. I can cover it up with money. I can cover it up with success. I can cover it up with just different things that happens in life. There's a deeper issue here if, if life truly is in him. It's called depravity. It's called total depravity, and that means that when Adam and Eve, when they sinned, when they chose to disobey, they had one job. When they chose to disobey the Lord, listening to the enemy, twisting God's word, depravity, in other words, sin affected every single thing that we see and know. Do you believe that sin affected everything, every single thing? There's some school of thought out there that say that sin only affected certain parts Sin has affected every single, every single aspect of life. That's why we have hurt and pain in our system. Man, I mean, people go, man, man, why is there so much pain? Well, we live in a broken world. Why do fathers leave and run out on their families? Why? Because we live in a broken world. They made the choice, though, but we live in a broken world. Why does babies are, why are babies aborted? Why do why are kids born and they're born stillborn? Why? Because we live in a broken world. Can, can we just go here for a little bit, y'all, and not play church? Can we unpack who really was in the manger and why this life, Zoe life, is so important for you and I? Here it is. We live in a broken world where different races can look at each other and say, I'm better than you. It's, this is a broken world. Well, other schools of thought about Adam when Adam sinned, there's three different schools of thought out there. One, the first one says this, he fell upwards. Stay with me. In other words, Adam, when he fell, when he ate the, and we don't know what it was, we always say an apple, it could have been a pomegranate, it could have been some, um, it could have been nectarine, how about that? Good old nectarine, could have been some watermelon, amen, amen, come on, good watermelon. He fell upwards. And this school of thought says that he was better after the fall because something was added to the personality of Adam of which he was deprived previously. Now, this is, this is mankind at our, our, at our finest. Stay with me. Consequently, Adam was fuller and more complete or more complete person after the fall than before. Why? Because, again, as if God was leaving something out or was, was cheating out on Adam and Eve, now they had full recognition and knowledge. So they're better. So they, they, they fail upwards. That's Aaronus. The second thought is this, that when he fell, Adam and Eve, mankind, all of us, man, woman, boy, and girl, when we fell off the cliff, when he was falling, he was able to grab onto a, a, just a rock hanging out. And just like, this ain't no Rambo movie, right? But this is, the, hey, this is some of the thoughts out there. That when he fell, he grabbed onto a ledge, and so therefore, being able to pull himself back up to the platform in which he was at before. That's works base. It just, it just falls apart. It's erroneous. Actually, another thought just came to mind. One other school of thought 
They declared that Adam was just a bad example, so therefore we can just we can do it within ourselves. We can just, just not look at his example, but flip it and do it better, and then we can make ourselves right with God. That's Aaronist too. That's not even in my notes. That was for free. Amen. <laughs> and here's the other one. You might say, this one even sounds, man, man Pastor, are you being a little harsh? No, no, no. This, 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 is, this sounds close, but it's still off. When he fell, Adam and Eve, when they fell, over the brink, they landed on a ledge. Y'all see it? They caught themselves. Y'all see this? They land on a ledge. And the ledge represents the church. And the church will lift up them or him, they, and put them on solid ground again. You may say, well, man, Pastor, that, there's some truth in there, right? Well, no. Well, that's Aaronist too. The word declares that when Adam and Eve fell, they fell all the way. And until we really grapple with that church, we will never really see the, the beauty of the gospel. We will never really truly see the, the dynamics of what Jesus came to accomplish. We will never really experience and know in full, like John 17 would say, um, that we may know this God by experience. We will never truly know that if we think that we can still do it. And some of us in the room, you, you believe this, that you can be good enough. I can come to church enough. I can do all these things, but we fail all the way. So in him, in him is life. Sermon, y'all are thinking, man, this is probably the, this is the most craziest sermon series during Christmas ever. Well, I'm glad it is. Amen. C.S. Lewis said this, the son of God became a man, became a man that enabled men, you and I, to become the sons of God. That's what he said. I mean, that's, it had to happen this way. So that Jesus is this life. He's spiritual life. The fullness of what it means to be connected to God. Y'all, how many of y'all know that time in your life when you're just on point with God? Anybody know that? Like just when you're like, you're reading, everything is clicking, man. I mean, I mean, you just, the prayers, the word makes sense. The scriptures are jumping off the pages. Everything just, I mean, you, you're, you're, when you're prompted in, in H-E-B or Kroger, wherever you choose to shop, H-E-B, wherever you choose, choose to shop, I mean, you can, I mean, you just, you're prone to talk to the, the actual checkout person. You're like, man, I, I need to share the gospel. Hey, man, do you know Jesus? I mean, you're like bold with it, right? Like just when you're very sensitive, these are the moments, check this out. These are the moments that God desires you and I to live on the daily. It's amazing that David Platt, a good buddy of mine, that he would actually have to write a book and say that um, radical, that Christianity ought to be radical. The book should have been titled Biblical. These are things that we ought to be living on the daily. But yet, as Charles Spurgeon would say, the enemy has made the roads very smooth. And when you have smooth roads, you, you get sleepy Christians and you find yourselves in ditches. So this life, we have to realize, guys, hear me say this, this life, ah, this life is found in no one else, but it's found in Jesus. And it also entails this, so if it's in him, that life, the, the all-encompassing meaning and definition of life is in him, Zoe life. It also means, if you and I are believers, that our lives ought to point to Jesus. Like everything about you and I ought to point to Jesus. It ought to highlight Jesus, our families. I know some of us are like, man, my family is like straight Jerry Springer. Amen. But our families, 
In time, God is a gracious God. He provides. But in time, in our families, what about your finances? Everything you have, literally everything you have. My grandmother, when she passed, I shared this before. I think it's very fitting. She said, hey, you know, I want y'all to bury me in this great dress. She had a cool dress. She had a lot of clothes. Bury me in this dress. I'm like, Grandma, okay, cool. But, um, you know, people go dig up graves and steal stuff. I mean, it wasn't trying to be harsh. She's dying of cancer. But this is a real truth. This is true. Y'all know this, right? Anybody, y'all know this? Amen. They're like, dang, Pastor. This is real. So people actually do this stuff. And so she had these great pearls, beautiful pearls from Greece. Beautiful. And she said, I want these pearls on my neck when I'm laid in my casket. And we said, well, Grandma, we'll, 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 we'll grant your request. We'll grant your request. But Grandma, do you realize that you don't take that stuff into glory with you? Do you realize that you're not going to go up there clutching pearls when you stand before Jesus? Do you know that, yes, we buried you on this side in a nice, beautiful dress, but up there you're going to be robed in white? Do you know? I mean, I mean, this grandma, do you know? And we realized she didn't know. She believed in works-based theology and salvation, and so we began to really pray. On her bedside, dying of cancer, the cancer was eating her so much, she wasn't sweating on the outside, but the bed was saturated with moisture. And here she is, she's dying of cancer, and she just wanted a Bible on her chest. She said, I need to have a Bible on my chest, I need to have a Bible on my chest, I need to have a Bible on my chest. You see, proximity is cool, but proximity necessarily don't always transform. Jesus wants us, God wants us to know by experience you had one job. So my mom said, hey, look, I need to, moms, I want to walk through the Romans road with you. Begin to walk through the Romans road with her on her bedside. She surrenders her life to Jesus. And not just many days after, man, she wound up going into eternity. I think she finally realized that it's not about what I have, not about finances, not about the nice dress, it's not about the pearls. So for you, what is it about? What is life? What are you clutching and hanging on to? It's not about retirement. Retirement is a good thing. That's, again, that's the essence of the Milton Bradley game. I'm not saying you should be unwise with your finances. I'm not saying that. We ought to be wise with them. But what are you doing with your retirement? If all of our life should and ought to point to Jesus and bring him glory, what are you doing with this? And there's something that we're excited about as executives um, in regards to in the future, if God says the same, we, we, we love to see our senior adults get back in the game. In other words, not just come and say, I've done my time, I'm, I'm hanging up the cliques, if you will, and I'm just going to ride this thing on out into, into eternity, but God is not done with you yet either. If you have air in your lungs, you still have purpose in your heart. If you have air in your lungs, that literally means God is not done with you yet. He's not done with you. So what about your retirement? Is it pointing people to God? Is it highlighting the glory of God? What about what you do with Jesus? This is very convicting. Jesus says, I was telling the accountability group, I meet with guys, a group of guys, 6 a.m. on Saturday mornings. Y'all pray for me because it's hard too, boy. Woo. But it's worth it. But we studied a passage this past Saturday, and we got to this passage, and I said, man, um, this, this passage right here troubles me. It was Ephesians when Paul, chapter 1, when Paul mentions that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that he has made available for you and I. 
And I said, man, I must be honest here. I mean, have you experienced this type of Anastasia is the Greek word for resurrection. Have you experienced this Anastasia power? Just how you may love your spouse, how you may witness. I mean, have you, have we ever experienced this? Have you experienced it? And it was like dumbfounded going around the table. Like guys are going, man, I just, man, man, we want that, but we just, why not? Well, maybe, maybe let's just get out the way because we, here's the, here's the issue with Christians and me included. I try to live the Christian life instead of, let, instead of letting Jesus live it through me. That's the hiccup and the hangup. So the schools of thought are erroneous. Everything we have ought to point to him. When we stand before him, that's the other text. That's very scary. What is he going to say to you? When you see Jesus face to face, this is not a fable. This is not some cool Bible story. You and I at one point, Hebrews 9 declares this. It's appointed unto man to live once and after that judgment. It's appointed unto you and I to, to literally live once. You get one shot at this thing. <laughs> You're not going to come back as a butterfly, okay? Sorry. Some of y'all got like Christianity and a little bit of this, the other little religion and world thought going on. Don't mix it. That's syncretism, and that ain't going to get you nowhere. You and I, the Bible says, when we die, after that, we will see our master face to face. I mean, I can't wait for the day. But what is he going to say to you? Good and faithful tither? No. Good and faithful lawyer? Good and faithful doctor? Good and faithful church attender? Good or faithful? I mean, those things are good. Again, I'm not knocking those. He's going to say good and faithful servant. In other words, what have you done with my son, Jesus. Because if life is in him, everything about life ought to revolve around him. In church, I'm not there yet. Let me just confess and say that. But the Lord wants us to get to that point. Well, we live recklessly, abandonedly for his glory and his glory alone. Well, we put our yes on the table and we say, Lord, I know you're calling me to do X, Y, and Z. You're calling me. I know, I know it. I sense it. I sense your spirit tugging and leading me. So therefore, what you say is right. As Charles Stanley would say, I want to obey you and leave the consequences up to you. So what is God calling you to do? Well, then, if he's the source of life, that means he's the only means. The second thing we see in this text, he's the only means for us to experience true Zoe spiritual life. He's the only means for it. John, in his book, he uses life, the word life, about 30-plus times. It's amazing because you think of, like, key characters and key people in our world, Tom Brady, for example. He will win several Super Bowls and literally go like this. I mean, can you imagine the apex? Man, you like, I mean, all these years of training and playing football. You win a Super Bowl. Everybody scream your name, and it's just crazy. Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Some of y'all like, I wish somebody would scream my name, right? Right? Tom Brady, Tom. Big old ring. He said, man, but still, I, I thought I would get to this plateau and be, and be satisfied. Something is, something is still missing. Something is still missing. Well, Jesus is the giver of life. He's also the one that allows us to be able to experience the Zoe life to the full. You may say, well, pastor, my life is a hot mess. I, I love this idea. I love... What John is saying, I, I realize that life is in him. I've heard it. We sing about it. I understand, but my life is a hot mess right now, like straight fish grease. It's hot. 
And you mean to tell me that this season I can, I can lean back into Zoe life? Yes. You mean in this season that where I'm at, I mean, things look very bleak. I can lean into Zoe life? Yes. You mean that regardless of what I may be facing, the fear of the future, the fear of what the doctor may say, I don't know what it may be. But based on this text, we can face tomorrow. Why? Because life is in him. And if life is in him, that means he's the creator, he's a sustainer, and he's the one who allows us to um, explore it and, and really walk in it to the fullness. It's him. It's not about us. This thing is not about us. One of my friends said this, God takes the impossible and creates him possible, H-I-M possible, because nothing is impossible for him. It's all in Jesus. Martin Luther said this, you may say, well, okay, how do I experience this deal? He goes, his lectures on Romans, he says this. He said, well, man, here's how you get true spiritual progress. It's always to begin again, he says. You and I walking with Jesus daily, giving over areas, giving over our own right, quote, unquote, settling the question of ownership, who's the true owner of my life? He says, when we do that, we'll experience Therein, no doubt of God's love and kindness towards you and I. It's funny because many of us, we can actually articulate the gospel with accuracy. That's one thing, but having it captivate your soul is a complete different thing. Here's the gospel. Jesus was born of a virgin. That's why we're here today. That's why we celebrate this season. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in your place, Jesus in my place, and was raised from the dead. That's cool to say and state and really be around it and close to it like the Bible on the chest, if you will. That's cool to be around it, but has it really, really captured your soul? It captured your soul. And here's the deal. John says, I want to make sure that they get it. 30 plus times he uses this. We're getting ready to do a crash course on the book of John in six minutes. Y'all ready for this? In John chapter 1, we read in our text, in him was life, Zoe. John chapter 2, Jesus says, destroy, I will destroy this temple, death, and in three days I will rise up, uh, life. John chapter 3, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. John chapter 4, the water that I will give him or her, in this dialogue and discourse with the woman at the well, will become in him or her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Chapter 5, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Just being around to it, close proximity. No, we got to lean into the Zoe, the, the spiritual intended life, and it's only found in him. But you search in, in search of eternal life, and you can't find it. He says, well, then he goes on. Jesus said this to the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said this, he said, and it is they that bear witness about me. Do you know that you can come to church and still miss it? Do you know you can read your Bible and still miss it? The point of reading the Bible is not just reading the Bible. The point of the Bible is reading the author and getting to know the author and see his face, the author of the Bible. Jesus says, it points to me. What about John chapter 6? 
He says, I am the bread of what? John chapter 7, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of him or her will flow rivers of living life, living water. John chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of, he says, life. John is on to something. John chapter 9, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. In other words, if we flip the token, he's saying that they will have life. John chapter 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I came, amen, that they may have Zoe life, but not just mediocre life, not just cavalier smooth road lives, but have life abundantly, spiritual Zoe intended life connected to me. Chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the what? Whoever believes in me, though he dies or her, yet shall he live, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. In other words, eternal life. Chapter 12, whoever loves his life, here's one. Whoever loves his life, it's funny because John switches it up and uses a different term here in life. It's not Zoe. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's like whoever want to, if you want to save your life, Jesus says in Luke 9, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you'll actually what? He said, you'll gain it. Chapter 13, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. How many of y'all say that right now, right? Peter was something else. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the? John 15, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So in other words, again, to be able to experience this Zoe life, it has to come from him. Greater love has no one than this, that they will lay down his life for his friend. Chapter 16, when a woman is given birth, she has sorrow because of her hour has come, because the hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world, life. Chapter 17, and this is eternal life. This is eternal Zoe, he says, that they may know by experience the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Chapter 18. Whom do you seek? And Jesus is asking the same thing. Whom do you seek for life? Life is only found in me. In chapter 19, it is finished. What's finished? This whole ideal of this, this reality that Jesus was born to die, what we celebrate during the Christmas season, God in flesh wrapped and housed in this tent that he was going to pull off the impossible. Why? Because we could not pull it off ourselves. It is finished. What's finished? If you're an alcoholic, you have power to live still Zoe life. If you struggle in relationship dynamics, you have power to still experience Zoe life. If you struggle with being confident and bold in Jesus, you can still experience Zoe life. Zoe life. It is finished. It is finished. It's finished. And in chapter 20, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Believed in who? Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's life. Chapter 21, Jesus was cold, boy. He just says, follow me. Young brothers, 
on the road to Emmaus. Just follow me. Y'all been fishing all this time and ain't caught nothing? Jesus was like sarcastic too, wasn't he? We, we're professional fishermen. We've caught nothing. We've been out there all night long. All night long. And Jesus shows them and says, go ahead and drop the nets on this side. Follow me. Follow him. And then John concludes what this book is all about. He says the purpose of this book in chapter 20 in verse 30, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, the gospel of John. But these are written so that, that's the purpose, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have Zoe, he says, you may have life in his name. John says, in him, in him was life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And we'll deal with that next week, dealing with light. Lord God, we do thank you. We do thank you. We love you. We praise you because you, even in our sleep and slumber and our our sinfulness, you, you had a plan. Romans 5 and 8 declares that. Even while we're yet sinners, the Bible says that Christ died for us. We didn't even know what we were doing. But thank you for your provision. Thank you for um, your plan. Thank you for just salvation because, Lord, what would this whole season be like if you hadn't come? What's the purpose? And really, what's, like, what's, the, what's the purpose of life? Well, had you not come, we were, we'll be busting into hell with a full tank of gas. Separated from you. Not because you're a cruel God. That's not the point. You're a good God. And everything that you do is good. It's because of our choice. We fail all the way. Jesus, thank you that you stepped into time, emptied yourself, pulled off the impossible, made salvation, and really salvation basically means deliverance. You've delivered us from one kingdom to another, from the kingdom of darkness, sin and death, to the kingdom of light, Zoe life, and that life more abundantly, a relationship with you. So, Lord, in this room, for somebody that said, look, I've just been around the church, the Bible, that whole analogy, I see it. I just have, I'm just close to Jesus. I really haven't truly surrendered my life. It's been just a lot of information, but information doesn't necessarily equal transformation. Jesus wasn't born 2,000-some years ago for information's sake. He was born for transformational sake. So right now you just basically say, look, Jesus, I believe that, that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. You have to acknowledge that first. You live the perfect life. You're born for me. You're born to die for me. You're my substitute. You took my place on, on Calvary's hill. Now today, Jesus, will you come into my heart and save me? 
Save me today. Those online, you can say this too. Save me today. Not based on what I do, but based on your work and your work alone. It's by grace through faith, oh God, that I can receive this. Thank you for saving me today. And then for the rest of us, ask yourself this question. What are you truly building your life on? What will people say about you at your funeral? Will they lie about you? Will they tell a couple cool stories, but then really the elephant in the room is everybody really knows. Jesus wants to do more in our lives than we even we can even imagine. A lot of us, we need to let him in. Make room. Make room. Make room. He wants to do something extraordinary in you. But not just in you, he wants to do something through you. Oh, and by the way, everything points back to him. It's for his glory and your good. So again, Lord, thank you for this season. Thank you that you desire for us to have a right Christmas. Ah, not necessarily a white Christmas. Be glorified this day and this day forward. It's in your name we pray.